If you've ever had someone new move into the house next door or into your neighborhood, you know that that creates a really unique feeling inside of you. Because usually it starts with excitement and anticipation. You see the for sale sign go down and you know that you're getting new neighbors. And maybe you're going to be best friends. And this person is going to be someone that is just like you and knows and likes all the things that you like. And your kids are going to grow up together and have fun together. And you're going to do cookouts and maybe go camping and fishing, maybe watch sporting events together. You're going to have the greatest neighbors ever. But then that feeling can start to change. Because you think, but what if they're the worst What if they're the kind of people that just let their dogs run crazy and dig up your bushes? Or they're the people that are still shooting off fireworks on July 6th. Why do you do that? Why would you ever do that? We need to sleep. What if they're constantly complaining or having loud music blaring into your house at four in the morning on a Thursday night while your kids are sleeping? Not that these are very specific things that have actually happened to me, but maybe they have. And so you go back and forth between, is this going to be awesome or is this going to be terrible? And it could be that or anything in between. But we feel that way because we know that one person or one group of people has the power to change the dynamics of a community, to radically shift and change a neighborhood or a subdivision or a cul-de-sac or wherever you live. All it takes is one new introduction to completely change the dynamics of how things have always worked and how things have always operated. They could make it exceedingly better or exceedingly worse. And I think the church has a tendency to forget that. All too often when we think about the role and responsibility of the church, we think about church as a thing that people come to. And so, yes, communities have churches, and our community has a lot of churches. But it can be easy to think of them as institutions or as buildings where people just go. They're things that you're involved in. They're things that you take part in, but they're just kind of part of how things work more so than they are units of change inside of the community. But we have to remember that the presence of the church, of any church, can and should bring change to the community in which God has placed it. We're not called to be a social club where people just come together because they have common interests or they happen to like each other, they happen to live close together. We're not just a place where people of commonality come together. We're not a political interest group. We're not some sort of retreat for the righteous to try to hide away and get out of a dark and sinful world so that we can have an hour every week just to ourselves and close out everybody else around us. But we're called to be a beacon of hope for the gospel. We are called to be the light of Christ in our community, one that shapes and changes the hearts and the lives of the people around us, of the people of our city, and turn them towards the glory of God. And so this morning, we find ourselves at the doorstep of what's going to be probably a really good summer and a really busy summer. God has given us a lot of opportunities to build relationships and and make connections in our community and to bring gospel-driven change into the neighborhoods and in the lives of the people that live here around our church. And so with that going, with this being the week before we get into Backyard Bible Club and our Tuesday Kids Ministry for Shepherd Staff and some of the other things that God has given us the ability to take part in this summer, I wanted to take just a moment to step outside of the book of Luke. 
And so we have been in the book of Luke for the past few months looking at the teachings of Christ. But today we're going to jump over to the book of Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, we're going to see Jesus teach us what our mission to the world is. We're going to see Jesus call his people to go out into the world and to make things better and make things brighter. And I know I forgot to update the slide, and so if you like to have all your notes in order, then you can write the title of today's message is simply Make Things Better and Make Things Brighter. And we're going to look at how that is our responsibility as individuals who love and follow Jesus. That's our mission as members of the community, members of the kingdom that Jesus instituted through his life, death, and resurrection. And also how as a church, that is our primary calling to our community, to go out and to do what Christ has called us to do by being salt and light in our world. And so from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, This is the word of God. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. And we say thanks be to God for his word. Father God, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel. As we're going to see today, the gospel takes ordinary things and makes them holy for the purpose of going out and sharing your grace and your mercy and your love everywhere that we go. God, I pray that you help us to remember that the church has a place in society. The church has a place in community to go out and to make things better and to make things brighter. That Christians, no matter what we feel our size or influence may be, we've been given the light of Christ, and it's our responsibility to go out and to share that light and remind us, God, that our work is not in vain. That when we go out to speak about the gospel, to proclaim the gospel in our words and to love our neighbors with our actions, that you are always working in and through us to shape and change the lives of the people that you put in our path. And so, God, we just ask this morning that you teach us to be faithful to that calling. That you teach us to, yes, love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that that love for you would give us a burden and a passion and a love for our neighbors as well, and that we would love them as we love ourselves. And so, God, teach us to answer that call this morning, to make things better and to make things brighter through the beauty of the gospel. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Throughout most of the history of our world, there was a really high value placed on spices. And it was crazy when you look through history, the things that people would do to just obtain a little more spice in their life, to make sure that their food tasted a little better and could be preserved a little bit longer. People were willing to travel hundreds of miles at a time when traveling was dangerous and very taxing and tiring. Kingdoms would fight over areas and over regions that were rich in spices so that they could have more. And you could measure your wealth sometimes by the amount of spice that you had. 
In fact, our country was colonized because Christopher Columbus thought he had a better way to get to India, a quicker way, and risk sailing an unknown route with all of the dangers that that involved just so they had an easier way to take hold of spice. But I get it because spicy food is better food. Well-seasoned food is better food. Salty food is better food. And now I have never traveled across the world to attain these things because, you know, it's 2018. It's a little easier to take hold of your favorite seasonings. But I have driven a little extra to go to a movie theater based on this because, my friends, there are two kinds of movie theaters. One kind of movie theater has those little jars with the salt holes on top filled with that delicious, mysterious, buttery, salty substance that you can pour at your own leisure on your popcorn, and some do not. And I'm willing to drive an extra 15, 20, 30 minutes to find one of those places that has that glorious golden powder so that I can make my popcorn even saltier and even more delicious. Because salty food is just better food. It's just so good. And so it makes sense that people would be willing to risk their lives to obtain these kind of things, to have this as a part of their life. Here in this passage of Scripture, Jesus looks over his audience and he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the seasoning of the world. Now, who is Jesus talking to here? The you that Jesus is pointing out here is anyone who puts their hope in Christ. Anyone who is following Jesus. If we put this in the context of Jesus' teaching where he's always teaching us about the kingdom of God and the people of God, Jesus is saying here that if you are a part of the kingdom of God, if you follow after me, if you trust in me for salvation, then you are the salt of the earth. And so that means for anyone here today and anyone who reads these words in scripture, for the people in the audience when Jesus first uttered these words, if you are a follower of Jesus, it is your job. It is your identity to season the earth and to make it a better place. And what's amazing when we look through the big story of Scripture is that this has always been the calling on God's people. There has always been an inherent calling to go wherever God sends you and to make that better because you're there and because you're following God. Think about even in the very beginning when we see in Genesis 1 and 2 when God creates humanity and puts them in the garden, the very first calling they have is to take care of the earth, to see plants grow up from the ground and harvest those plants and use the good foundation that God has given you and to bring forth life out of it and to go out and to make it better using the gifts that God has given you. When the people came out of their wandering in the wilderness in the book of Exodus and were led into the promised land with Joshua, God says, I have given you this land. This place is your inheritance, but now it's up to you to do something with it. Don't just come in and sit idly by, but come in and build your homes and have your families here and grow crops and and take part in the land that's here. Make this place better. Even when the people, because of their sin, were taken into exile in Babylon. God had a very strange and unique instruction for them. Because Babylon, they were the enemy. Everything about the lives of the Babylonians was completely counterintuitive to the way that the people of Israel lived and the way that they believed. And so it would be easy to go there just as prisoners and as exiles and sit in a corner and pout and wait for God to deliver you. But God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says, no, that's not how you're going to live here. 
I want you to build houses and plant gardens and get married and have children and build a life for yourselves here. But not only that, I want you to live for the welfare of this city, to live for the welfare of Babylon. These people that were once your enemies, now I want you to work for the good of this city because in their welfare, you will find your own. And God says, I want you to do this because I know these plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and to grow you and to turn you into this amazing thing. But that starts here in Babylon. And I want you to use all the gifts and all the wondrous things that I've given you for the good of your enemies. And now for those who follow Christ, this calling is even greater. Because if you've been here as we've talked through Jesus' teachings in the book of Luke, we've recognized that the kingdom of God is a big thing. And that Jesus came to establish a spiritual kingdom for anyone who trusts in Christ, for anyone who puts their faith in Christ, we are born into that kingdom. And that kingdom has no borders, it has no boundaries, it has no barriers. That the kingdom of God is made to spread across the entire world. And it was the calling that Jesus had on his disciples there in Acts to be his witnesses, not only where they were, not only in in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus says, because my kingdom is worldwide and because the gospel message is made to spread to every corner of the world, then you need to be the salt, not just of where you are right now, but the salt of the earth. And it shows us the amazing reach and the amazing influence that the church can have. And that's why it's such a beautiful thing that, yes, we are one church here this morning, but we are a part of the church with a capital C all around the world working together for the cause of Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, all working together for the glory of God. And that should be something that reminds us how amazingly beautiful and powerful the kingdom of God is that we can influence and shape and change the world and make it a better place for the cause of Christ. But then, of course, we have to ask ourselves the question, is this how people see us? Or I guess the first question should be, do people, in fact, see us? Do people see and recognize the influence of the church? Do they feel like we come in and we make things better for the sake of Christ? Are we a positive influence in a system of change in the light of a community that is dark and broken? Do people find the church salty? Or do they find us salty? Are we salt making things better or are we an object of dissonance and disagreement? Are we always griping? Are we always complaining? Are we making things worse when we should be making things better? What would happen if our church or if any church vanished from its community? Would people notice Would anything change if a church disappeared out of its community? Would people rejoice? Would they say, finally, those people are gone? Or would there be something noticeably missing because of the ministry and the work that that church was accomplishing? Jesus continues by saying, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt without its flavor is basically just sand. And no one's ever traveled across the world or fought wars or risked their lives for sand. 
except I think maybe in the movie Waterworld, but I haven't seen Waterworld because when I was growing up, it was one of those things that you always hear that it was one of the worst movies ever made and all this kind of stuff. So I never watched it, but I kind of think I might like it. But I think the premise is the world is covered in water, thus Waterworld, and they're looking for dirt. I think that's the whole premise of the movie. So maybe in Waterworld, but here in the real world, nobody is ever fighting over sand. Sand is plentiful, and all we really use it for is to go maybe once a week on a vacation and lay on it as we observe the ocean. Sand is just used to be trampled under people's feet. And a Christian and a church, not working to make things better for the gospel, not working to impact the lives of their neighbors, we're not fulfilling our purpose. We're like sand that doesn't have any flavor. And ultimately, Jesus says here that we are useless for the kingdom of God. And that's a harsh statement. And Jesus says so many encouraging and powerful and motivating things that when we encounter a time like this, when Jesus says something so harsh, it can really take us back. But when Jesus says something that is this harsh, it should cause us to pay attention that this is something that we should really take notice of. Because Jesus is saying that if we aren't doing our job to make things better in our communities for the sake of the gospel, then we are not living out our purpose for the kingdom of God. But of course, we can say, that's a big calling, and it is. And so how do we even begin to be the salt of the earth? How do we even begin to be the salt of our homes or of our neighborhoods or of our jobs or of Loganville? Like with anything, we start small. Even in the commission to the church in Acts, Jesus said, start where you are. And so we can do that in these small communities that God has placed us in. And we can start by simply living out the gifts that God has given us that Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. That we act as people of love. That we act as people of joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control and goodness. That we put all of these things into motion in our lives. That we love our neighbors as ourselves and remember that love isn't simply an emotion, but it's the love of God put into action in our lives. That we're patient with our neighbors when so many people are not. That we're people of joy. That even in the midst of hardships, not only do we maintain joy in our own lives, but we seek after bringing joy to other people by doing good things for other people, by being people of encouragement, by sharing the love of Christ with them on a daily basis. That we're ambassadors of peace. Because good grief, it's easy to be divisive in the world that we live in. It's easy to be polarized. It's easy to be separate from people. It's hard to be peacemakers. But when we live to use our words and our actions to bring people together instead of pull people apart, that's bringing the message of the kingdom into our world. So take those fruit of the Spirit that God has given us through Jesus and put them into practice in our daily lives. And as we've seen, the more that we practice these things that God has given us, the more He'll teach us how to use these gifts on a bigger and a bigger and a bigger level. The more that God will use our church to influence not simply our little range of reach here, but will help us know how to reach out beyond our community and into the corners of the earth. But we start small and we pray big asking that God would give us the opportunities to go out and to make things better. But of course, Jesus also calls us to make things brighter. And in the book of John, Jesus looks at his disciples and he tells them something very important. 
this week at our Backyard Bible Club, we're going to be talking about the I am statements of Jesus. And one of those things that Jesus says about himself is that he is the light of the world. And that makes so much sense. When we look at the full story of Scripture, the world started dark and formless and empty, and the first thing that God did was speak light into the world, and the light pushed back the darkness. And through the Old Testament, we see the story of sin engulfing God's beautiful world and taking over God's beautiful world, and the earth is again dark and formless, but this time it's spiritually. And so Jesus comes into the world as the light of the world to bring the light of God into the world and to bring the message of the kingdom, the gospel of his death and resurrection into the world. And he brings light into the darkness. And we have this promise in scripture that that's not the end of the road, that one day Christ is going to come back and he's going to make everything right and everything new. And in Revelation, when Paul descri- or excuse me, when John describes that beautiful moment, When he describes what life will look like after Christ makes all things new, he says that there's no sun because God himself, because the sun himself, because Jesus is our light and that all darkness will be driven out of God's world. But here in Matthew, Jesus says the same thing about us. In verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Now, remember who this original audience would have been made up of. Because we've seen through Luke, Jesus is just traveling from small town to small town, teaching about these things that are made up of the, that make up the kingdom. And so he's looking at people who were not the movers and shakers and influences of the world. These were people who were often overlooked and oppressed, the poor and the outcasts and the broken. Jesus was going to those people and saying, you are the light of the world. Think about us, as Jesus says the same thing to us. Paul says that because of our sin, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. That there is no one good, no one righteous, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so Jesus, as he's speaking these words, is looking at the sinners and the broken and the overlooked and the poor and the impoverished, those without any influence and those without any ability to do any goodness for God on their own. He looks at us and he says, you are the light of of the world. But how can this be? How is that possible? Surely Jesus is speaking to the wrong audience. But then we remember the gospel, the truth that God so loved the world that he gave Christ to be the light of the world, but not simply to light up the world, but to share that light with anyone who puts their faith in him. That when we trust in Christ for salvation, the Bible says that there is a transformation that happens from the inside out inside of us. That God takes the old things and makes them new. He says that the old is past and the new has come. That you are a new creation when you trust in Christ for salvation. That God takes the old and the ordinary and he makes it holy. He takes sinners and makes them saints. He takes what's dark inside of us and fills it with light. He turns us into the people of God. And he gifts us and equips us with everything that we need to go out and to share his light to the world. And so if you're here and you've trusted in Christ for salvation, you've been through the waters of baptism, that is who you are. 
That's your identity. You, yes, at one point in time were a sinner destined for hell, but now through Christ you have been made alive and been made new. And so God is sending you out and has equipped you and has qualified you to go out and to be the light of Christ everywhere that you go. Jesus continues by saying that you are a city. He says you're a light of the world and a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I remember when I was in college, the first two years, I was at Truett McConnell in Cleveland, Georgia, a little bitty hill town right on the edge of the North Georgia mountains. And there's a hill on the campus of the college, and I would go up there and sit at night, and you could look off the hill, and it sat above the entire little city of Cleveland. And I remember being amazed, because this is a very small town, but you could see the downtown area of Cleveland, and it would glow. So there'd be the dark night sky and then just this radiant light coming off of this little town. And I was amazed that such a small town had the power to create that kind of light that it wouldn't simply illuminate the town, but it would illuminate the sky around it. It's amazing how even a small city can produce such great light. And that's true about us as well. Jesus says that if you are my people, then you have been given the light of Christ and that it's our responsibility to let it shine. And that that light that Christ has given us shouldn't be hidden. In fact, Jesus says here that it cannot be hidden. In verse 15, he tells us this amazing little parable. He says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. Jesus, you don't light up a lamp just to hide it. That doesn't make sense. When you light a lamp, the intention is for it to bring light to the house. And so you put it in the most optimal place that you can so that that one light can light the entire building. Our calling is to let the light of the gospel shine in our lives to make our world, to make our community brighter by proclaiming the gospel in both our words and in our actions. Jesus says in verse 16, in the same way of this city and this lamp, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our calling here is again to let our light shine and it's our responsibility to light up our world by sharing our faith, by talking about the gospel, by telling people about the God who loves us so much that he gave his one and only son to tell people about the death and resurrection of Christ and how salvation through Jesus has the power to change us from the inside out. It's our responsibility to go out and to allow that gospel truth to make us people of good works, to do good things on behalf of our neighbors for the glory of God. And Jesus says, when that happens, when that happens, people are going to see our good works. People are going to see the things that we're doing. People are going to hear the good news coming out of our lips, and they're not going to celebrate us and our goodness. They are going to look straight through us and see the goodness of the God who enables us to do these things. And so Jesus says, when you make your world brighter, you're bringing glory to God, and you're helping people be introduced to the God who loves them more than they could understand. And so the question we should ask ourselves as our church and as individuals on a daily basis, 
is, is our city brighter because we're in it? Is our world a brighter place because we exist, because God has called us into salvation, because Redeeming Grace Community Church is here? Are we a beacon of light for the gospel? Or have we taken the light of Christ that Jesus died to give us and hidden it under a shade? And again, we can say, I am such a small person. Or maybe we can even say, listen, our church is so little. We have a little church. And so how can we expect to make things brighter? How can we expect to have this kind of impact on our world? But we have to remember this direction that Jesus has given us and how Jesus teaches to see ourselves, not as a little light on our own, but to remember that we are a city on a hill and that even a small light has the power to push back the greatest darkness. And when we work together for the good of the gospel, when we let our light shine for Christ, we're not working out of our giftedness or our ability, but we are allowing the light of God to shine through us. And there is no limitations or boundaries for that. And God can use churches of all sizes to bring that light into the world, can use people in all places, in all ages, in all backgrounds to make his light shine forth. And so we need to learn to believe that. We need to learn no matter what we believe our influence may be or how big our church may be or may not be, we need to believe that God can do incredible things through the gospel to use us to see people come to know Christ through salvation, to see people baptized, to help people find their giftedness in Christ and to be able to grow in Christ and grow in their relationship with the church and then go out and to do the work that Christ has called them to do as well. But it starts with believing the gospel, not simply for the first time, but believing the gospel every day that if I trust in Christ for salvation, that he has made me new and he has gifted me to do good works and to say good things for the hope of the gospel and for the good of the community that God has placed me in. And so this summer we do have so many opportunities to make things better and to make things brighter. And that, of course, begins with an individual commitment that each and every one of us realize that God has given us a community that he's placed us in, whether it's your neighborhood or your jobs or your schools when school starts back or wherever you find yourself, God has commissioned you, if you've trusted in Christ, to be his light wherever you go, that it's your job to talk about Jesus and to share your faith with your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends and family and the people that God brings into your life. It's our jobs individually to do good for our neighbors, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to make their world better and brighter through our existence being there, recognizing what God has called us to do. But we also have some amazing opportunities as a church this summer. Again, this week is our Backyard Bible Club love Backyard Bible Club. We get to go into a neighborhood and just minister to the children there. And so we're going to be there Monday through Thursday of this week from, if you're going to volunteer, from about 9.30 to 12.15. We're going to have two solid hours with the kids. There's going to be games. There's going to be crafts. There's going to be music. Most importantly, there's going to be the gospel as we talk about who Jesus is and how Jesus changes our lives. And so we need a lot of people to come and to volunteer, to serve, and to love the children there. And so if you are available this week, please come and be a part of that. 
Because we're not only going to have an opportunity to minister to the children, but we're going to have an opportunity, hopefully, to meet people that we've never met before, that live inside of our city. To build relationships with families who live within walking distance of our church and to show them the love of Christ, but also to show them that there is a church here that loves them and cares for them. We're going to have a block party on Friday night at the same community where we are just going to party and have fun and have some good live music and eat together. And so that's a great way to grow in community and fellowship with our church, but also again, to have these opportunities to be intentional about building relationships and showing the love of Christ with people that we might not know. Every Tuesday, Amy Higgins, starting next week, is going to have a ministry here at our building for the kids that come to Shepherd Staff to receive a meal, to receive their, their food basket for the couple weeks that people come for it. And so when parents come to pick up from the food pantry, they're going to be able to drop their kids off here, and she's going to have some games and some Bible study and just really spend some intentional time loving and building into these children, but also ministering to their parents. And she needs help. She needs some volunteers to come and be a part of that every Tuesday from, what time do we say, about 10.30 to 12, somewhere in that neighborhood. So not a very long commitment of time, but the commitment to love and to care for the people that are coming here to be fed physically we get the opportunity to feed them spiritually. Another way that we're going to be partnering with Shepherd Staff leading into the fall is that Shepherd Staff has a transition house for women who have been dealing with really difficult situations. And it's going to be a place where they can come and live for a few months and get back on their feet, but also a place where they are going to experience the love of Christ and the gospel of Jesus. And so they need people who are willing to come and just to love and to care for the women that are going to be living there. Megan's asked if we could have people that would do Bible studies, people that would make meals and bring them over and eat with the women that are going to be there and just share a meal with the people living in the house, teaching life skill classes, even simple things like having art classes or fun little projects that they can do together, maybe transportation to get people from one place to another. I know in some places she's talked about even having times when you can do makeovers and, and fun things like that to help these women feel just as important on the outside as on the inside to help, again, make things better and make things brighter for women that are in very difficult situations. And God is continually opening multiple doors for us to have opportunities to step through those things in faith and say, God, you have given us this opportunity to share the love of Christ both in word and in action with the people in our community. And we are going to be faithful that as many times as those doors open to step through them. But we need to do them together. And we need all of us to be willing to say, yes, I'm going to answer that call to love my community and to love my neighbor. And so wherever you are, whatever you feel your giftedness is, there is a place for you in the ministries of our church, especially this summer. And so if we've been talking and you've heard something that you feel particularly passionate about, please let me know and we'll find a way to get you involved in that. If there's something else where you feel like you have a certain giftedness and maybe that didn't fit in with anything that we were talking about, come and talk to me about what that is and let's find a way to put that into work, to use the giftedness that God has given you to make things better and make things brighter for the community. Because we are small, but our calling is not. Redeeming grace is a city set on a hill by God through the power of the gospel. And so let's go out and be salt and light in our city, doing good, sharing Christ with others, and leading people to give glory to our Father who is in heaven.